0: Well again, I want to welcome those of you joining us online from wherever you may be this morning and a nice full house here in the Ward Church Sanctuary in Northfield. Good morning to you um, Have you noticed recently that that job titles are becoming more creative uh, and and with Create uh, creative titles and I'm all for creativity, but they get kind of confusing and they're often driven by somebody who wants their job title to to appear a little bigger and uh, they get kind of vague. I want to put up some actual job titles taken from LinkedIn and other places and see if you can guess what they are. Um, The first one's kind of personal. Would you be concerned if I told you that an environmental health officer was at my house last summer? You might be concerned for me And so you learn that an environmental health officer was the title of the guy from the pest service company that came to spray for termites. (laughs) How about automotive removal officer? That's a tow truck driver. This is an actual title used by a tow truck driver on his card. This one's from LinkedIn, a color distribution technician. That is a... Painter, decorator, painter and decorator makes perfect sense. Color distribution technician, that's your painter and decorator. Uh, here's another one, field nourishment consultant. This was a, a real job title used by a, a waitress <laughs> who consults with you about your, your meal. Uh highway environmental hygienist. I saw this in a real website. I wasn't sure it was real, but that's, that's a title for a a street sweeper. Yeah, hygienist for the highway. And we'll do one more, a CPA, and that stands for car park attendance. Yeah. Now, that last one's not real. I added that one. That's not real. Um, But it's what I used when I was a car park attendant in college. Um, Look, just tell your mom I'm a CPA. That's what (laughs) we... Uh, We've been looking at titles or descriptions of Jesus from John's gospel, these very colorful statements, and they are anything but pretentious or vague. They are metaphors, each of these statements, that's true. They take a little work to understand, that's also true, but taken together they paint a dynamic picture of the one in whose name we gather today. We've been looking at seven times in John's Gospel, Jesus said, I am. We've looked at five of the I am statements on Sunday mornings. We've looked at, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today we're going to look at the next one, which is, I am the vine. And reading our scripture passage today is Ron Weber. Ron, would you come forward? Ron is an elder who just became part of Ward as part of the recent adoption of Grace Chapel in Farmington Hills. And Ron gave excellent leadership to that process. Ron and all the Grace Chapel elders who've come to us uh, demonstrated godly humility, out-of-the-box thinking, and joyful optimism. And Ron, we're so glad that you and Pam and other folks from Grace Chapel have joined us. Would you please read our, our passage of the day? And would you all please stand for the reading of-
1: Scripture reading today is from John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Ron. There's a word that Jesus used 13 times in the 11 verses that were just read. The word is only two letters long. In normal speech and writing, this word would be insignificant. But in the Bible, this two-letter word is one of the most powerful, most hope-filled words in all of Scripture. And it's the little two-letter preposition, in. Several times in this passage, Jesus says, "'I am in you, and you are in me.'" Uh, This little word in is so powerful, not just with, as fantastic as with is, God is with you, isn't that good news? And not just for you, though that's terrific, God is with you and God is for you, but today God is in you. You know who else loved this little preposition in? In? The Apostle Paul used it 97 times in his letters saying that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Now, I'm not talking about pantheism. Pantheism is this idea that everything is God and God is everything and God is this life force that flows through all living creatures. Uh, that That is not Christianity. That's Star Wars. And great movie, incomplete theology, God is separate from his creation, but God is active in it. And so when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that there is one God who is above all and through all and in all, he's describing a way of being. He's describing a way of living. Jesus said it through the metaphor we're going to look at today, this idea. Jesus said, you heard read, I am the vine, you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And that is the image we're going to talk about today, what it means and how do you do it and the power of it. But first I want to talk about why this line was so controversial in Jesus' day. Why when Jesus said, I am the vine, it made some people angry. People got offended when they heard Jesus say he is the vine. And uh, notice how this This passage begins, uh, the very first part, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Not just I am a vine, not just I am the vine, but I am the true vine. Why did he specify that? Well, in the Old Testament, a vine is almost always used as a symbol for God's people, Israel. You see it in the Psalms. Uh, This uh, from one of the Psalms, you transplanted a vine from Egypt, God, You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. God took this vine out of slavery in Egypt and replanted it in the promised land where it could grow and flourish. And this from the prophet Isaiah. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. Very clear. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. The vineyard is Israel and the vines are God's people. Uh, People that he planted, the, the, the vines were not just for their own benefit, but the idea was they would flourish and bless the entire earth. They would produce fruits that would be so amazing and tasty and attractive that people would be drawn to their God, but it never actually happened that way. And this is the prophet Isaiah, the same chapter we were looking at earlier. Then God looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruits. This vine that God planted bore bad fruits. And then uh, I, I, uh, this also, the Bible says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock, God said. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? This vine that God intended to bless the earth Went wild. People did not want the fruits of this vine. The fruit was bad. So, what did God do? God planted a new vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. I am the true vine. This is scandalous. Jesus is saying that he was the faithful and true Israel. Where the people of Israel failed to produce the fruit God was looking for, Jesus succeeded. Where the people of Israel fell short of God's righteous requirements, Jesus succeeded. Though though Israel bungled its mission to bless all nations of the earth, Jesus would get the job done. Now there's a connection here to Palm Sunday. Today, Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday before Easter, we remember the day that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem in what would be his final week of his earthly life. And we know the story of Palm Sunday, people were excited, they were happy, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they're cheering, and they're shouting, and what else are they doing? They're waving palm branches. And uh, palm branches were a a sign of of, uh, victory, but also a sign of the nation, It'd be like waving a national flag at some kind of assembly. Uh, The people still did not understand who Jesus was. They were looking for a political Messiah, a military Messiah, a national Messiah. They didn't understand that their hope could no longer be placed in ethnic Israel, but it had to be placed in this new vine, Jesus, a vine into which anyone can be grafted regardless of politics or ethnicity. There's some debate about where Jesus was when he said this line, I am the vine, and the commentators have two plausible theories. Jesus had gone into the city of Jerusalem, and one theory is that when he said this, he, he went outside the city to the valley where there are lots of vineyards, and he was standing next to a, a, a plant, to a vine, and he, as an illustration, he said, I am like this vine, I am the vine and you are the branches. Very plausible. Jesus did that all the time. You know, he spoke with a lot of metaphors and illustrations right in the moment. But the second theory that I like more is that Jesus did not leave the city, but he went to the temple. And on the temple gates, on the temple door, would have been woven in a very ornate fashion a vine, one of the symbols of Israel. And that perhaps Jesus was standing in front of the temple and in front of that image when he said, I am the vine. Your life and your hope are not found in that temple. Your life and your hope are not found in your ethnic identity or in your national identity. God has broadened things and planted a new vine and everyone connected to that new vine is part of God's people. It's not just your little subset anymore. And all those Old Testament prophecies about God's people becoming a flourishing vineyard that attracts and blesses all of humanity, all of those prophecies will come true, but they will now come true in me. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for how we live our lives? In terms of sermon outlines, this is a one-point sermon. If you're a regular churchgoer, you know that most sermons have three points. I don't know why. There's no hard and fast rules to this kind of thing. Uh, I have given five point sermons and I've given three point sermons and I've given one point sermons. And if you've been here long enough, you know I've also given many sermons that are (laughs) pointless. But today is a one point sermon and the one point is this. One point sermon, the one main thing that we are called to do is to abide in Jesus. The one main thing we're called to do is to abide in Jesus. The NIV uses the word remain, but I like the older word abide. Now you might say, wait a minute, I thought the one main thing we're supposed to do is to love. Isn't that what the Bible says? The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves, and Jesus talked about love, 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 and even this passage we read is all about love. Isn't the main thing to love? Yeah, we are supposed to love, but you cannot love unless you do one thing first. You cannot love unless you first abide. Jesus said very pointedly in the scripture that was read today, apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. And John Stott says, we've been trying to disprove Jesus on this ever since. Right? We, uh, we, we try to live and love like Jesus apart from Jesus, and we can't do it. We try to build great churches and great families and great character apart from Jesus and we can't do it. You try to love somebody who is hard to love apart from Jesus and you'll find you cannot do it. Jesus is the source of life and love and so our main task is to abide, to remain in him. What does it mean to abide? Abide means to remain to stay put, to linger around for a while, to dwell, and even to take up residence. So abiding is about deciding where you belong and where you will stay. Abiding is about deciding where you belong and where you will stay. And the most important thing for a branch to do is to belong to and remain in the vine, Jesus. Jesus said, uh, again this is the whole point, no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I brought a branch that's in a uh, severed condition, Um, what are the odds that this branch will bear fruit? I was going to say slim to none, but it's really none. None. Right, this this branch. Now, what if we all got together and we put together a team of really smart people? We got the best committee we could get together to figure out how to get this branch to bear fruit. Could that? Could the brightest thinking among us get this branch to bear fruit? No. We could scotch tape some fruit on here, a little fake apple here, and I think I think that's what we do sometimes. We we fabricate, we fake the fruit because we're living apart from the vine so we fabricate or fake fruit but there's really this branch let's be honest this branch does not have a chance the branch is not connected to the vine the primary task of a disciple of Jesus is not to produce fruit the primary task is to abide and then the fruit will follow Uh, the word abide is very key in John's theology John uses that word 40 times in his gospel, 11 times just in this one chapter, and 27 times in the letters of John. John really loved this word abide, and I have come to love it too. We baptize some kids today. We have teenagers making consequential decisions. It is so stressful growing up in today's world, and we can say kids, teens, your one mission is to abide abide. Everything else will follow. We abide in Jesus. Jesus abides in us. It's like a double abiding going on. The life in the vine is running through you. E. Stanley Jones wrote a book a long time ago, The Missiologist, a daily devotional called In Christ. And every day for a year, he lifts up one of the In Christ passages in the Bible and writes about it. But his main theme is that if Jesus is in us, then everything in Jesus is in us. His love for the unlovable is in us. His joy is in us. His peace is in us. His patience and kindness and goodness are all in us. You bear those kind of fruits when you're connected to the vine. So to be absolutely clear, the pastor is not the vine The elders are not the vine worship leaders are not the vine we're just other branches and our job like yours is to remain connected and to help other people abide as well so how do we do that what does it look like what it doesn't look like is trying really hard what if this branch tried really really hard to bear fruit and this branch just said come on fruit come on Will, will anything happen in this vine, no, no matter how much effort, this vine is not going to bear any fruit. In fact, people wise in spiritual life would say, uh, really spiritual life is l- less trying, more abiding. Less trying, more abiding. lot well, We try to produce fruit and we can't do it. Uh, And a lot of people who write about spiritual life today talk about this idea of spending a day with Jesus. Rather than relegate your spiritual life with God to a certain time of day or a certain day of the week, what if your whole day was with Jesus? What if you kind of spent your day with Jesus? Do the things you're already doing, but do them with Jesus. So we kind of walk through this. We can wake up with Jesus. Tomorrow morning, Lord willing, you're going to wake up Some of you are going to wake up early. Uh, You know, there are two kinds of people in the morning. There are those who love to wake up early, and there are those who hate the people who love to wake up early. (laughs) And you can wake up and say, thank you for this day, God. Jesus, let's do this day together. And then you can read a passage of the Bible uh, from your Bible app or something else because Jesus said in our passage today, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Words. Words are really important. The average person hears twenty to 30,000 words a day and words begin to take residence in us and words begin to shape us. So why not be shaped by the Word of God and start each day reading a little bit of John, reading a verse or two, cheering that over and allow God's words to remain in you. God's Word is active and powerful. It doesn't just... Uh, inform it performs which is why bible memory and bible reading is so important Uh, and then you can scroll with jesus i I had read the newspaper with jesus and then i remembered there are no newspapers anymore remember newspapers anybody remember newspapers those were great now we get our news from tv or we scroll i do on my phone and anybody knows the news can be pretty upsetting right now but what if you scroll the news with jesus Jesus, here's this part of the world, this people, this situation really needs you. And you talk with Jesus through your news feed. And then you drive with Jesus. Jesus is with you in your car when you drive. Not judging you entirely, but present with you in an ongoing conversation about your day and what's going on around you. What, 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 if, what if you drive while abiding? D W A. What if we all got DWAs, drive while abiding, would that affect your day? And then we can work while abiding in Jesus. You get this email and you think, oh man, I do not know how to respond to that. But, oh, but, but Jesus, you do, you're with me. Let's you know, help me construct this, this response. Be with me, let's go into that meeting together. You work with Jesus and at the end of the day, you rest in Jesus. Jesus, you have been with me this whole day long. Help me to rest in you. You spend the entire day with Jesus. You abide, remain, stay, belong, take residence in Jesus. Rather than relegating to a certain time of day or a certain day of the week, the whole day is with Jesus. Now, because we're human, this isn't always going to work. There are times where this whole abiding experiment is going to derail around 10.30 a.m. And that's where the gardener comes in. In verse one of today's passage, Jesus said, My father is the gardener. Some translations say the vine dresser. The old King James says the husbandman. And what does the gardener do? The gardener does a lot of things, but the gardener takes vines that are downtrodden and lifts them up. This is what the passage said The vine dresser, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruits. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You say, wait a minute, Scott, you said lift up. This said cut off and prune the branches. You said lift up the branches. This says cut off the branches and prune the branches. What's going on? Well, well notice this word cuts off. Very interesting debate around this. Cuts off, the Greek word areo can be translated that way, cut off, or remove the same word can also mean lift up or raise up in fact that's the way this verb is used other places in the Bible when Jesus says take up your cross it's this word take up your cross. When he says take up the, the baskets of fish that are left over those 12 remaining baskets take up it's this word. When he said to the paralytic take up your mat it was this word. This can mean take up and a lot of commentators myself included believe this could be Jesus' intent in this line that uh, and would be more consistent with the Mediterranean gardening practices of the day. When a branch got stuck in the mud and was not thriving, did the gardener cut off that branch and throw it away? No, the gardener did not do that. The vine was too valuable. The gardener would wash off the mud from the vine and would lift it up and put it on a trellis or lattice where it could receive sunlight and air and it could flourish again. Now again, this verb could be translated cut off, it could be translated lift up, but Jay Vernon McGee and a lot of other commentators believe this teaching of Jesus is not about salvation, it's about fruit-bearing. It's about fruit-bearing. Those connected, engrafted to the true vine, the Father will never cast away. I find this very hopeful. Maybe you're in a season where you're not producing fruit right now, and you're feeling you've been downtrodden and you're covered with mud. And the good news is the divine gardener, God, our divine gardener, will lift you up and you will bear fruit once more. Did you notice which branches get pruned? It's the branches that bear fruit. The fruit-bearing branches are the ones that get cut so that they will bear even more fruit. Sometimes the Father prunes, cuts, removes things from your life that you feel like you need. And it's painful. God does it not to punish you or to take vengeance out on you. He's doing it so you can flourish. It can be painful. But we're reminded that the Father must often cut in order to cure. Hebrews 12 carries a very similar idea. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Sometimes the training, the pruning can be painful. I have felt this pain. Many of you in this room know what it is to be pruned by God, but I have learned that what someone once said is true. The gardener is never so near to the branch as when he is pruning it. The gardener is never so near to the branch as when he is pruning it. I have felt the closeness of our God in times that have been most painful. Let's look now at this final promise in our passage. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and what? It will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Isn't this fantastic? Wow! Now, before you start asking God for fame and fortune and shorter sermons, take another look at it. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you remain in Jesus and Jesus remains in you, what you wish for will change. When you are connected to the vine of Jesus, your appetites are altered. Your compassion climbs. When you're connected to Jesus, you begin to want what Jesus wants. You pray differently. You ask differently. You live differently. The DNA of Jesus is now flowing through you. His joy is in you. And you will join him in his work to make all things new. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, you are the vine and we are the branches. Help us to abide, to remain, to belong, to take up residence in you. Father, you are the gardener. Lift up the downtrodden. Cut away the parts of us that need to be pruned. Remove old grudges, faulty thinking, and fruitless living. By your loving hand, shape us to be something thriving and beautiful. Holy Spirit, give us comfort, strength, and discernment for all of life. Pour out on us in new ways. Remind us of our own baptism and of the new life that is ours. Triune God, we worship you. We find our identity in you. And we are now sent by you into this world. This we pray as your children, as the branches engrafted into your son Jesus, we pray. And the church said one more time, amen, amen. Amen.